0: This is where we will begin our reading through verse 17. Paul wrote, Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Let's bow in prayer together again. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to open the Word of God this morning. We thank you for our risen Savior, our risen Lord, which we celebrate daily as followers of Christ, For it is in the resurrected life in which we have life, in which we live. And we thank you for the truth of the gospel that has brought us to faith in Christ. And Lord, even as Paul explains through this passage of those who were faithful in partnering in the gospel ministry so may we as well be submitted unto you, Father, that we are faithful ministers of the gospel to which you have given us stewardship. And we are grateful for that, but Lord, find us faithful, we pray. And Lord, may it be that we are aware of the opportunity that is present daily as we would go about life and that the word of God be declared and the truth of the gospel be declared and proclaimed throughout the world in which we live. May we as your people, Lord, uh, stand firmly upon your truth in days of spiritual darkness in which we live in a world that is uh, skeptical of all truth, Lord, may it be that your church stands forth strongly as pillars of truth, as you have made us to be, as we would stand upon the faith and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you again for the privilege to come together as your people and to be instructed from your word and to glean the truth from your word. And I pray that today we see the truth of Christ as he has been revealed in the word of God. And may we grow in the faith and knowledge of our dear Savior. Lord, may every uh, word from, our, from my mouth and, and the very thoughts within my heart and mind be pleasing in your sight, I pray, O oh God, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Be seated. Over the past several weeks we, of our study in Philippians, we have examined the ninth division within this epistle in which Paul wrote concerning the superiority of the contentment that is experienced alone in Jesus Christ. In verses 10 and 11, we find this to be true, and Paul says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Paul's contentment, as we have seen over the past several weeks, was rooted in his confidence that regardless of his physical circumstance, he is, again, in prison writing this, we must remember, regardless of his physical situation or circumstance, God would faithfully provide everything that was necessary to fulfill his eternal redemptive purpose through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul continued in verse 12 to explain when he said, I know both how to be abased, And I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. As we have discovered, Paul expressed a contentment which was more than an attempt to simply be satisfied regardless of unpleasant circumstances. But rather, this was a contentment that resulted from submission to the Lord and submission to God's providential design and care for him within the ministry of the gospel to which he had been called. Last week I summarized for you verses 10, 11, and 12 by saying in verse 10, Paul is expressing a contentment, of course, which a joy and contentment that the Lord had once again provided the opportunity for the Philippian church to partner with him in the gospel once again in verse 10. Verse 11, Paul explains that this joy is not due to a personal lack. His joy of the Philippian church partnering again with him in the gospel is the opportunity God had provided him was not uh, due to a personal lack which he had or was experiencing, but rather he had learned to be satisfied and embrace God's providential work in his life without questioning or without resenting how God's providential plan may personally affect him. And then third in verse 12, Paul further expounded upon the extreme circumstances he had experienced in which he remained content in God's provision. So here was the stability of this joy. This joy was permanent within Paul's life. And then, of course, it's important that we also review the importance of verse 13 as we have spent the last two weeks, at least uh, two weeks ago, I mentioned this verse and kind of briefly overviewed it. And then last week we spent some time in delving into the reality of verse 13. I just want to review that briefly. Verse 13, a well-known verse, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. In verse 13, Paul explains how such contentment can exist while enduring such extreme situations in life. Paul's statement that he could do all things through Christ, regardless of how many have subjectified this verse today, it has nothing to do with Paul accomplishing his personal goals or achieving some agenda that he had set. Today, it's sad to say that so many people Take verse 13, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me and attempt to just pluck it right out of its context concerning the ministry of the gospel and God's faithfulness to sustain Paul for the ministry of the gospel and then plug it into their own lives in, in some subjective manner and say, oh, this is a verse I can claim and therefore I can accomplish all I set my mind to. Everything that I desire, anything that is in front of me, any obstacle that's in front of me, I will overcome this because I can do all things through Christ. Well, listen, uh. Paul also had a thorn in the flesh, if you recall, that God did not relieve him of. And it wasn't because Paul lacked faith. It wasn't because Paul did not believe that Christ was sufficient to relieve him of that. It's because God was using that thorn in his flesh for the purpose of propagating and further propagating the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Paul might remain humble before the Lord. So let us be mindful that I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me is an absolute truth within its context. And that is that God is going to faithfully supply everything that is necessary for His purpose to be accomplished in and through us, both as individual believers and corporately as His body. God is faithful to provide. This has nothing to do with your dreams and your goals and your agendas. And if you believe that, again, I will rehearse what I said last week. I will repeat it again. If you believe that or that's how you think, that is simply a clear sign of your spiritual immaturity and lack of understanding of the truth of God's word. You cannot subjectify scripture and then expect it to come to pass. Expect that God to hold to some promise you think he is making rather than that what he has actually said within its context. Then we find in verse 14 Paul went on to say, notwithstanding ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Paul acknowledged and applauded the Philippians for their continued participation with him in his suffering for the gospel's sake. So this morning we see that Paul concludes this letter with the tenth and final division, consisting of verses 15 through 23, we've only read 15, 16, and 17 this morning, in which Paul emphasizes within this tenth and final division of the, of the epistle the excellency of God's provision in Jesus Christ. Remember, we have seen clearly throughout this epistle that this, this epistle truly is about The superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ and God's provision in Christ, and all that God has accomplished through Christ, this redemption in Christ, the gospel itself, and our participation and privilege to do so, to participate in the gospel, how that these things are all superior. Again, we saw in previous chapters where Paul, of course, denounced his entire resume, all that he claimed to be that which he thought he could present to God as his righteousness. He totally abandons that and says, this is inferior, this is refuse, this is garbage, he says. In view of the superiority of knowing Jesus Christ and the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So throughout this entire epistle, the thesis statement as we see it discovered, it is discovered in verses uh, 9 and 10 specifically within the first chapter, that Paul desired that these Philippian believers approve things that are excellent. That they were to prove, they were to examine, they were to to hold to those things that were superior in light of things that were inferior, to which they may hold in a superior uh, state, but yet when they see Christ as he is revealed, then they recognize that all of these things are really inferior to knowing Christ. And so in chapter 4, 15 through 23, we see Paul emphasizes this final division, the excellency of God's provision in Jesus Christ, or we could say the superiority of God's provision in Jesus Christ. Now this is certainly fitting for a conclusion to this epistle in which Paul exhorted the church again in verse 10 of chapter 1 to approve things that are excellent in reality the question could be asked what could be more excellent what could be more superior to God's provision for us in Jesus Christ and we see this provision outlined for us in this text in verse 19 and verse 23 the final verse of the of the epistle look at verse 19 with me but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus now again let us understand the truth here There is a context to this. This entire context has been prior to this point in the Scripture. The entirety of the context has been up to in this chapter that God or in the previous division is that God is faithful to provide, to to sustain uh, that joy and, and provide that contentment that is in Jesus Christ and he will sustain those whom he has called to the gospel, ministry, and stewardship of the gospel, and whatever is necessary or needed for the gospel to continue forward, God is going to provide that as he is so determined to use us as his church within the ministry of the gospel. And so, again, my God shall supply all your need. Well, if you want to try to claim that verse, subjectify that verse like many would verse 4, chapter 4 verse 13, if you were going to subjectify that verse, then I would say that there would be no martyrs for the faith whatsoever. There would be no believers who ever suffer any need, which Paul himself has already identified two extremes of abundance and of, of being hungry, having nothing. And yet, Paul expressed that in the previous verses. And yet, God, Paul says to the Philippian church, but my God shall supply all your need according to the, his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. But again, let us understand the context here. And that is, that God is going to faithfully provide, according to the riches in Jesus, everything that is necessary for his purpose to be fulfilled within this Philippian body of believers. And so the truth remains today. God is faithful to supply all that is needed according to his vast abundance in Jesus Christ, the riches in Christ, which are immeasurable, innumerable. And yet God is able to provide, but that does not mean that we get what we think we need or that God is going to faithfully give us what we desire apart from being submitted to his purpose and his plan. Verse 23, here we find the truth of this just encapsulated, if you will, within this verse. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. What a fitting closing. And Paul often closed in this manner in his epistles similar to this. But isn't it interesting, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, what greater provision has there ever been than the grace that is found in Jesus Christ? He is this greatest provision. So, again, we are reminded, in this 10th division, Paul is ex- explaining to us the excellency of God's provision in Jesus Christ. However, we also to be aware that there are verses within this passage which usher us into this truth which is made to be so evident in verses 19 and 23, which we have just read. Verse 17 is one of these, of course, where we began this morning. Paul writes, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Now, this verse obviously supports my previous explanation from verse 10, in which Paul expresses, we read that a moment ago, if you recall, in which Paul expresses his thankfulness to the Lord, For providing the Philippians, again, the opportunity or the window to once again actively partake with him in the ministry of the gospel. But Paul expresses this was not for selfish reasons, but for the benefit that the Philippians would receive in doing so. Let's look at verse 10 and verse 17 together. But I rejoice, verse 10, in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity." Verse 17, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Now, if you look at verse 11 of this same chapter, following verse 10, of course, he said, not that I speak in respect of one. So Paul says, I rejoice that God has provided you Philippians the opportunity to once again... Partake with me actively in the gospel. You desired that all along and you have faithfully done so, but you lack the opportunity. He says, but I say that not because I am in need right now. It's not out of necessity on my part. He said, for I've learned to be content and I can do all things through Christ. Christ will sustain and he'll make certain that I am sustained for the purpose of the gospel ministry. But then in verse 17, he further explains his truth. Not because I desire a gift. He says, I'm not thankful that you now can again minister to my needs because I desire to receive from you something from you. He said, but rather, look what he says in verse 17 again, I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So Paul was not selfish at all in this expression of thanksgiving. He was not saying this to the Philippians out of a desire for them to give them, him uh, prosperity or, or give him an abundance that would make him prosperous. But rather, he is saying, my desire is that you receive the spiritual and eternal fruit to your account for your obedience in the gospel. Verses 15 and 16. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. So here we see that Paul is setting the stage again for verse 17, which we just looked at briefly for a moment, and we see where Paul is saying that you've been faithful in this ministry of the gospel, even from the beginning, and we're going to examine this some. And within these verses, he expounds, of course, further on that which he had previously uh, written and, and stated within the preceding verses. The Philippian church, as he has said in chapter 1, and as well here, of course, in this final chapter of Philippians also, had faithfully, as I've mentioned, participated in Paul's ministry of the gospel from the beginning. So when no one else was supporting Paul in this ministry of the gospel, the Philippian church did so. Now, there are several reasons, I believe, as to why the Philippian church would have done so. Why were they one of the only churches at times that would even supply to the need of Paul. If you remember in the book of Corinthians, Paul writes concerning this, but also we find that he writes to the Corinthian church itself because they were a church that lacked nothing. They had, they had uh, an abundance. Not only had they been gifted, as Paul explains in Corinthians, but also they were a church of affluence. They had much, but yet the church at Philippi had very little, and other churches in that region had very little, and yet they were faithfully ministering to Paul in the gospel ministry rather than those churches which had an abundance, especially the church at Corinth. While Paul even ministered to them, Paul uses the verbiage, He says, I robbed other churches. Now, Paul is not admitting to theft. That's not what he is saying. He's saying, I took from other churches, in Corinthians he states this, I took from other churches their support when you should have been supporting me because you are the ones to whom I was ministering. And yet you would have nothing to do with any support of the gospel ministry while you were receiving benefits of such ministry. But yet the church at Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, those churches were supportive of Paul regardless So one of the reasons I believe we find the Philippian church would have done this first, those who are believers in Jesus Christ will possess the desire to engage others with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. Look, if you've genuinely been born again, then you have a desire to proclaim the truth of the gospel. You do. It's within you. It's just going to be present. Ephesians 6, 14, and 15, Paul writes in closing out his letter to the Ephesians, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, verse 15, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, we've studied this in our previous study through Ephesians, but when he says your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, what he's saying is be prepared in your stance of the gospel of peace, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your feet shod with preparation of the gospel. He's saying be prepared in the gospel ministry. Be prepared standing within the gospel. So we are, therefore, to anticipate the opportunity and possibility that God would provide us daily in proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Second reason I believe the Philippian church possibly would have been engaged in the gospel ministry while others were not is that not only had the church at Philippi been established by Paul, but it also was unique in how the Lord had sent Paul to that region. In Acts 16, 6-12 we read, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, After they were come to Mysia, they assayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them, therefore Loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. So here you find where Paul has what has been referenced in Acts as the Macedonian call, Paul had desired to go preach in in Asia. That's Asia Minor, of course. And then he was going to go even elsewhere. And the scripture says that he was forbidden. The Spirit suffered them not to go. So God was preventing Paul from going the direction he desired to go for the proclamation of the gospel, for the sake of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he sends him through this dreamy as this Macedonian man saying, come and help us. God then sends Paul to Macedonia. And there, of course, Philippi is that chief city or uh, of that region of, of Macedonia. And so God sent Paul specifically to Philippi. Now, God always sent Paul wherever he was meant to go, but we see that clearly evidenced in this passage because Paul desired to go elsewhere, and God says, no, I'm sending you this direction. I'm sending you this way. And so there was a, a relationship that was there, obviously, and that brings us to this third reason as to why The church at Philippi might have been partaking in this gospel ministry when others weren't. There was a special fellowship between Paul and the Philippian church. Philippians 1, 3-8. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, all making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Ye all are partakers of my grace, for God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. These are three reasons, I believe, obvious as to why the Philippian church possibly would have had a desire to support the gospel ministry of Paul while other churches maybe did not. Now let me me explain something here to keep this in proper perspective. You know, God does do this. God does connect the hearts of fellow believers together. And that does not mean that every church participates with every evangelist. When I say evangelist, I'm speaking of what is modernly referred to as missionary. That every church is supportive of every evangelist in the sense of financially or even praying for every one of them, not even knowing that they exist. But God does providentially direct into our paths those in whom he would have us And he connects those in whom he would have us to partner with in the ministry of the gospel and to specifically pray for and to support. And God is providentially over that. And let me remind you of something. You say, well, what about those who who don't come our direction? Or what about those who don't receive support? God will faithfully supply according to his riches in Christ for every individual, every family, every person who is engaged in the gospel ministry as he sees fit to do so for the gospel to be propagated by and through that individual. God is faithful in this. It does not mean that we don't take part. It means that we are to be submissive to the Lord in taking part. But obviously, Paul and the Philippian church had a a special fellowship that was present. Remember, it was Paul who said concerning the Philippians here in verse 3 of chapter 1, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. He says, every time I, I think of you, I am thanking the Lord for you, always in every prayer of mine, verse 4, for you all making requests with joy, and then verse 5, the reason for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. And then again you see Paul's confidence, and he says in verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work and you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So he's saying... I'm confident that God will complete this work. God will supply. Do you see that I can do all things through Christ? God is going to faithfully, providentially provide what is necessary for His will to be accomplished, for His purpose to be accomplished in and through us unto His glory. And by the way, we should be very thankful for this. And here's why I say that. Because apart from Him faithfully supplying the need, we would utterly fail if left to ourselves. Paul further explained the extent of the the partnership of the Philippian church with him in the gospel ministry, as mentioned in Philippians 4.15 within his epistle of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 8.1-4 he says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, How then in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. Here's what Paul is saying. These churches were hurting. These churches were in need themselves. But in the depths of their own poverty, they were liberal in their giving. They gave abundantly what what they were able to give. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty, that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. Do you see what Paul is saying? here? Paul would have been reluctant in some sense of the word, knowing their poverty possibly to receive their gift because he knew how they were suffering. But they were begging Paul to please partake that we might have a part in the ministry to the saints, that we might be able to be used of God in this capacity. Second Corinthians eleven nine, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and when I was present with you and wanted... I was chargeable to no man, for that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia, supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. So Paul expressed here his willingness, of course, to suffer so that the gospel would not be hindered. He said, I'd rather suffer. And If you're not willing to participate in the ministry of the gospel and as you have received, he said, I'd rather suffer and take nothing from you that the gospel itself not be hindered. Then in 1 Corinthians nine, eleven, and 12, Paul goes on to say, If we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. So again, Paul expresses to this Corinthian church who had the means to help him in the ministry, but yet refused to do so or had no burden to do so, in the sense of they were carnal in their mindset, as Scripture says, which Paul rebukes them for throughout the entirety of this letter. And yet we find that he says, I would rather suffer. I'd rather not have. Knowing that God will be faithful, I'd rather not receive from you so that the gospel will not be hindered. Then we come to verse 17, which we've dealt with to some degree. But Paul leaves no room for doubt concerning his motives. For all he has communicated concerning and regarding this desire for the Philippians to support him in the ministry of the gospel. Paul rejoiced that now God had opened this door of opportunity. He says that, oh, I'm thankful, verse 10. He's thankful that, that now the opportunity has arisen for the Philippians to once again partake with him in the ministry of the gospel. But then he says, here's the reason why. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Isn't it somewhat strange that people speak about a desire to be fruitful, for God to use them, and yet they totally disassociate that from the means in which God has purposed and determined to use His people concerning the gospel. I would dare say to you that we should be cautious, conscious and cautious. Because if we are not careful, we too can have this sense overwhelming sense of a need for expressing morality. And when I say that, I don't mean just in sense of sexual purity or such, but I'm talking about morality even to the degree or the sense of saying, okay, well, you know, it's a good thing for me to be an encouragement to others. Well, sure, that's fine and, and good. But let me say to you, that does not trump God's purpose for you as a believer in Jesus Christ concerning the gospel. And you say, encourage someone along their way. Well, I mean, one way to view it is this. So are you just going to encourage someone along their way to hell as they perish? Or are you going to declare the truth of the gospel, which is the only hope and help that is out there? And so there's there's something we must be conscious and cautious concerning, and that is, again, that, that we are intentional and purposeful concerning the gospel and recognizing that this is how we bear fruit in our lives. Now, There is fruit that is within us because the Spirit of God dwells within us as believers. But then Paul says, oh, my desire is that fruit may abound to your account. What fruit is he referring to? He's referring to their partnership in the gospel, their ministry in the gospel. So Paul did not desire help from the Philippians for selfish reasons, but rather was interested only in the benefit they would receive as they partnered in the gospel. Verses 10 and 11, again, Paul said, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Now, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Then within verse 17, again, he expounds upon this truth further, Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Paul, in other words, was not interested in his physical gain, but rather he was interested only in the spiritual and eternal fruit of the Philippians as they partnered with him in the gospel ministry. We need to be aware of this, and I'm finished for this morning. The gospel ministry denounces, refutes selfishness by its very definition. People who attempt to use the gospel as a means of selfish gain are refuting the very so-called gospel that they are attempting or claiming to proclaim. The good news of Jesus Christ is centered, as Paul has so clearly pointed out in Philippians, is centered on the message of the humility and the self-denial of the Lord Jesus Christ that therefore provided for us our redemption. For from His spiritual poverty we are given eternal life. Meaning when he sacrificed himself, when he left the majesty which is rightfully his and man, it was manifested in the flesh and became poor in that respect that we through his poverty may be made rich. The gospel has never been about physical prosperity or selfish gain, but always about spiritual and eternal life through the selflessness and the humility and self-denial of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, part of the Carmen Christi in Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Paul writes, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And again, remember what that means. When Paul says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, He is referencing again this humility and preferring others before ourselves as he then demonstrates through reminding us of this being personified through the person of Christ. He says in verse 6, "...who, this mind being you which was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This is the gospel message, the humility, submission, self-denial of the Lord Jesus Christ, who then humbled himself even unto death under the the providential plan and purpose of the Heavenly Father, that then he, of course, would would rise victorious over sin, death, hell, and the grave, not for himself, but for us, and then ascended to the Father, and now has sent his Spirit to dwell within us, that we, as his people, might carry forth the same ministry of the gospel, which he accomplished through his selflessness. The fruit that would abound to the account of the Philippians, Paul was jealous over them for this fruit. He desired that they would reap the fruit of the benefits and the benefits of partnering in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Though he understood, it costs them physically to reap spiritually. Might I say to you, and this is not about money, though in this case they provided whatever was necessary. This is not about, oh, if you're going to have a spiritual eternal reward, then it's going to cost you in your pocketbook. No, that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying to you, you must physically self-deny yourself. You must humble and submit yourself to the Lord Jesus. You must be submissive to the providential working of God, such as Paul in saying, I know God will sustain, I know God will provide through his riches in Christ Jesus, whatever is necessary for his purpose, for his will, for his gospel to be accomplished in and through my life. May we not also join with Paul with that same resolute mindset if you will and saying that resolution of saying that we will be committed to the gospel to such a degree of recognizing though it's going to cost us not just something but in reality it costs us everything to follow after Christ because we must say none of this belongs to us because we belong to him. That the gospel may go forth and that we as well then do reap the spiritual and eternal fruit of participating and partnering in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we are...